0: The world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 Days of Matthew. Anyway, so uh, we are in Matthew. We have gone the halfway mark in the book of Matthew. There's 28 chapters in Matthew. I'm doing a chapter of day, so we are past the halfway mark. We're now in Matthew 15 which means that we, will, we are on the downhill trend. If the curve has gone up, we're now on the downhill trend, not only um, with the coronavirus, but with the book of Matthew. So um, we are gonna start into this. Uh, we've, uh, we've seen Jesus do some miracles. He sent out the 12. Uh, he's done some more teaching. Uh, and now uh, he's kind of interfacing a little bit more with the people reading a little bit deeper into the stories of how he's doing that. He's definitely on the radar screen of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, you know, they, they've set already to plot to kill him. So whether or not they're there watching him teach or they're sending out spies to watch him teach, uh, they're definitely going to start trying to trick Jesus to try to say, hey, wait a minute, um, you are, uh, you're not following what we want you to follow. Uh, and they're going to try to figure out ways to trip him up. Uh, To see if they can put the blame on him for things, you know, I don't know. But they're definitely out there uh, trying to figure out who Jesus is and how they're going to get after him. Uh, And today is kind of like that, uh, although maybe not as much as happens later on uh, in the book of Matthew. But we're going to start right now uh, with Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. Then some teachers and Pharise- then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem. So they came all the way down to Jerusalem, and they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father and mother with it? Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, "Listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them." then the, Pharise- then the disciples came to him and asked, "Do you know what the Pharaoh- do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? <laughs> Jesus replied, "Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull, Jesus asked them, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person but eating with one unwashed hands does not defile them. So great, great, great little encounter of Jesus with the Pharisees. They came to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem to find out what in the world he's teaching. They're looking for a way to put him down, right? To take him down. It's all politics, it's all politics. And they're trying to figure out, okay, we're gonna watch everything. And they see that the disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, in the age of the coronavirus, I know what you're thinking that the Pharisees had uh, the CDC backing them and they said, before you eat, you should wash your hands uh, because this is the clean way to, you don't get germs that you're gonna eat and all that sort of thing. Um, This is not what washing the hands was, right? Washing the hands was a ceremonial cleansing of your hands. It wasn't even, I mean, you didn't scrub or anything. You just poured water over your hands and it was a ceremonial thing to show that your hands now are pure so that you can touch the food and you can eat and that sort of thing. It wasn't necessarily for sanitary reasons. It was for religious purity reasons. And the interesting thing is, is that Jesus, uh, you know, was a good Jew. He would have done these things, you know, growing up. This is how the community did did these things. But there was nothing really in the Old Testament that said you had to ceremonially cleanse your hands before you ate dinner. There's one place in Deuteronomy where it says you should bless the food before you eat it, and it's kind of even ambiguous there. But as far as washing your hands, ceremonial cleansing your hands before eating, it wasn't there. Um, so the, but the Pharisees, they're like, this is our tradition. This is what we do. Um, so you had in Jesus' time, you had, uh, you had Pharisees and Sadducees, Right. The Pharisees were kind of the more, um, they were less strict. The Sadducees, the chief, if you hear chief chief priests, right, that's the Sadducees. Uh, The Sadducees were basically people who um, followed the law very, very tightly. They only followed the law. They were big into the law. And uh, so you have Pharisees and Sadducees. The the Pharisees um, were actually a little bit more friendly to Jesus, but the Sadducees were not. Uh, so they came, the Pharisees, and they and uh, and the teachers of the law, they came to Jesus and they're trying to trip him up. Uh, and they said, you're not washing your hands. Well, and like I said, there's nothing in the Old Testament that says you have. But by the time of Jesus, um, the culture and the way that the tradition had was that in the temple, of course, and in the temple, you did have to wash your hands. There's no question about that. But what would happen is that the... the leader of the household in Jerusalem in these the leader of the household in the Jewish tradition right so this is the person that leads the Seder meal uh, every year right this is the this is how God's grace comes into the home uh, is that they would send a, the they would send the the faith leader of the home into the synagogue they would teach uh, they would learn they would they would discuss God's word and then this, head of the household would come back into the home and they would act like a chief priest. Or I mean, they were basically the head of the household. So they would go to the temple, they would go to the synagogue, uh, they would learn all these things, then they would come back and then they would share God's grace uh, at the home. And so when the meal happened at the home, um, this head of household would then do the ceremonial washing as if an extension of the temple had come into the home. You see that? So, uh, and we, we somewhat do this ourselves. I mean, uh, it was big at the time of, at the time of Jesus. I mean, this is how, this is the only way that the kind of God's grace came from the temple synagogue into the home was that the, the leader of the household would go and then they would bring it back. And there was very much this patriarchal rule that you have this head of the household. If the, if there was no head of the household, you know, if the, if the, if the father died, it would go to the firstborn son. If the firstborn son died, it would go to the secondborn son. If there was no sons and no father, then really there was no access to these things because women were not allowed to go to the temple at that point. I mean, they, were, they could go to be spectators, but they were not allowed to be part of the system. And so you can see how if you have no males in your household, you were completely cut off from the grace of God. Uh, and, and there was a tremendous amount of grace of God. I mean, we don't... We always think that in the Old Testament, there was no God's grace, but there was God's grace. It came from the temple and the sacrifice and into the home through the leader of the household, or you know, and and that's how it happened. And so um, it was very much traditional. It was very much a part of the Jewish tradition that when you had a meal, you ceremonially cleansed your hands. Jesus says, uh, so the Pharisees come to you, "Why, why aren't you doing this? This is our tradition. And Jesus, his answer is really interesting. Um, he turns it around on them. He says, listen, if you're going to play that game, and the game is we're trying to uh, take the Old Testament Torah, of which there were several laws in the Torah, and we're, and we're saying this is what it means for us today. And what you're saying to me is that this is how we now view the ceremonial cleansing of the hands in the, in the household. You know, we can play that game all day. And here, let me show you an example. And so Jesus gives an example back to the Pharisees. He says, "You were supposed to honor mother and father. And we all honor the mother and father. But what you're saying is that the money that we would have, the gift that we would have to honor our mother and father, you want that. This is something that you've said. We, you know, you have said as a Pharisee that there is a certain amount of gift from every household that should come to us and that money could really be used to honor mothers and fathers. So if you want to go down that game, we can play this game all day uh, because it's human tradition. It's not neces—it's a twisting of the law. It's an interpretation of the law. It's your interpretation of the law. And even the laws themselves were basically put into place to put a protection, a hedge of protection around the 10 commandments. And the 10 commandments are there because we as humans were created in the image of God. And we need the 10 commandments to protect us from ourselves. Because the Ten Commandments aren't put there because God's a mean person to us. The Ten Commandments are put there to protect ourselves and how we should live our life. I mean, that's basically um, why the Ten Commandments are there. It's why the other laws were put around the Ten Commandments to show these are ways that we should protect ourselves. But now we're, we're several years, several centuries moved away from the Ten Commandments and now you've twisted everything And now everything goes through you, basically, and you create the traditions and you are the elders and um, you are the ones who are in charge of who is following God's law and who's not following God's law. And basically, uh, you're picking and choosing and cherry picking how you want things to go. And if you want to go down this road, let's go down this road. Um, And and of course, the Pharisees, they kind of don't challenge Jesus on these points. And then the disciples come up to Jesus and it's like, explain this to us. And Jesus is rather, what, what does he say? Um, well, let's go back to, um, because Jesus, he says something interesting in verse 7. He says, you hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He says, these people honor me with their lips. They're doing all the things right. They're doing the traditions and all that sort of thing. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. And Jesus is so right here. They've taken the original law, which was then surrounded by the Old Testament Torah law, and then they've even twisted it some more to say, this is our interpretation of it. And they've created this whole system of laws, like we're in charge of the law, we know what God wants, And these are the things that are going to please God. These are the things that are going to make our society hold together. These are the traditions that we want to follow. But Jesus points out that their hearts are impure. Their hearts don't follow God. And God is so much about the heart, right? When David sinned, what did he say? He didn't say, God, it was my sin. He said, my sin was a result of the fact that my heart was far from you. And so, God, I want you to create for me a clean heart. This is such a powerful part of of certainly of Christianity and as we can see a part of, of the Old Testament also is that you can have all the laws you want in the world but if the heart isn't there, God's not pleased with it. God first and foremost wants us to follow him from our heart. He wants us to follow the rules because we want to please him. He wants us to follow the rules because we are in so much of a relationship with him that our heart is in love with him, our heart is in connection with him, that the things that we do that come out of our body are a reflection of where our heart is. And first and foremost, God wants the heart to be in the right place. Um, And over time, there's so many different religions out there that are so much on the external action but it is Christianity, as we can see the Old Testament too, that really wants the heart. Because if the heart is in the right place, then everything that comes out of the body will come out well, right? Um, it's more about the heart than anything is, else. But it's hard to, to see where somebody's heart is, right? You have to really have a conversation with them. You have, to, uh, you have to dialogue with them. You have to understand them. You have to walk a mile in their shoes to understand why they're doing the things that they do. Is their heart in the right place? Because you might have one person doing an action where their heart's in the right place and another person doing the exact same action where the heart is in the wrong place. Well, God is pleased with the action where the heart's in the good place. He's not pleased in the action where the heart's in the bad place. So Jesus is very much into the heart and where the heart was. And he quotes this, I, this from Isaiah. He says, the hearts are far from me. Their teachings are merely human rules. Um so then Jesus says it's what comes out of a mouth that doesn't defile them it's but what it goes it's not what goes into someone's mouth that that does not defile them but what comes out of the mouth that's what defiles them. Uh and then the the disciples come to him and says uh do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? <laughs> I I just see Jesus saying, "Really? I didn't know that." <laughs> They were offended by my words? Hmm, who knew? <laughs> I just I just love this encounter with them. I mean, did, did you realize they were offended? No, I didn't realize. Of course Jesus knew that they were offended. I mean, the whole point was offending them, right? Um, then he gives them a teaching again. Uh, and, but then, then then, Peter says, explain this to us. And he calls it a parable. It's not really a parable. He just explained this teaching to us. And Jesus to Peter, I mean, I, I love Peter. He's one of my favorite people, but he's bold. I don't think that he necessarily thinks before he speaks. I don't think he thinks before he acts. And I'm not entirely sure that Peter thinks a whole lot, but I still love Peter a whole lot because um, I'm a thinker. That's what I am. But I'm not, you know, I don't necessarily do until I've thought about it a lot. Uh, Not Peter. Peter just does, right? He doesn't even have to think about it, you know, he just does it. Um, and, and, I, and so I'm, I'm enamored with Peter by his boldness, even kind of a childlike boldness, because he doesn't have to think. His personality, the way God created him, he didn't have to analyze 16 things from Tuesday, you know, what this means or whatever, he just does, right? And that's so much why I like Peter and why I wanna be like Peter, uh, why Peter's my role model. But Peter says, explain this parable. And Jesus says, are you still so dull? <laughs> Oh, shoot, are you so dull? <laughs> uh, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But these things that come out of a person's mouth come from your heart, and that's what defiles you. Jesus explains it. It's not what goes in. It's the heart, right? It's, it's what comes out that makes a person impure or unclean. And man, this, this has so many ramifications to the church today. Um, how many things do we do uh, as a church, uh, as a follower of Jesus, right? As as the the wide Christian church, um, that we do just because it's tradition, and how many of it do we do just, you know? We say God's pleased with us because we do these things, but our heart necessarily isn't pure, right? That we're that we don't love Jesus with our full heart. We do all the the traditions. Um, that he's called, you know, that he's called us to do, but our heart isn't in the right place, and uh, it's so easy for us to say. Uh, now I'm not saying everybody, uh, because there are people whose hearts are in the right place, you know, and that follow traditions. You know, traditions are good. Traditions what bind us together. Traditions what keep us safe. Uh, you know, I have traditions every morning. You know, I wake up and I do the same things over and over again, and those things are safe for me, because. Um, because I, I do them over and over and over again. I don't have to think about them and I do them. But when that kind of gets translated into traditions and traditions and traditions, you know, at the church of Jesus on this earth, then we can miss opportunities. Uh, we, you know, we can, we can follow tradition as opposed to following Jesus in our heart uh, because he wants us first and foremost to love him. Um, so uh, may we never be, you know, there are some churches that uh, are highly traditional uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, uh, but the question you have to ask in that type of situation is where are people's hearts? Are they just following rote tradition or are they really, f- you know, followers of Jesus from deep within? Are they following and doing the traditions because they have a deep love for Jesus and a deep love of being in the kingdom? You know, there are many, many that do, um, no question about it, but, but there are many that don't. And, um, you know, they, they fall into the trap that tradition trumps everything. And tradition isn't the trump card, the trump card is the heart. The trump card is that Jesus loves you. The trump card is that you're in a relationship with the king of the universe. The trump card is that you are a child of the king and that you know that you're a child of the king and you do the traditions because you love the child of the king. That's the trump card. And, and, um, and it always has been. It, um, that's where the Pharisees went wrong. Where the Pharisees went wrong was they were so much... Embroiled in tradition, they forgot their true love. They forgot their first love, which was a God who loved them. God loved the Pharisees. God put the Pharisees in their positions to help guide Israel, but at some point, both with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, it all became about them, right? Their knowledge of the law, their super-duper connection with the Torah that they could understand what society should do and what society shouldn't do and they put this burden of the law on people so much that it prevented people from understanding the true love of god that god had this incredible love for the people and it wasn't because they were following the law it was because god loved them because they were they were the chosen people they were the called out ones the israelites were god's people and it wasn't because they followed the law it was because God chose them and God loved them and it's the same thing with us God doesn't love us because we follow the law or do the traditions God loves us because he loves us and um, so anyway that's a that's an important uh, distinction that comes out of this teaching let's see yeah the bigger picture is that the religious leaders just didn't didn't see that the law was there subservient to God's love um, Anyway, so we're going to we'll continue on. This is verse uh, Matthew 15, verse 21. So then Jesus leaves that place, right? He's in the, around the, the Galilee. He leaves that place. He's already torqued him off a little bit. So now he's just going to go to a far off place. He goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. These are both um, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It's You go kind of northwest from, from the Sea of Galilee, uh, and you end up at the coast, and there's Tyre and Sidon, very, very, uh, they, they, very, very biblical places, right? This is, this is in Cana region, right? So leaving that place, Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. So somehow this lady found out that Jesus had the power to drive out demons. So there must have been some people that were following Jesus, whether it's the disciples or maybe it's a crowd. He goes all the way, um, I don't know, 30, 40 miles from Sea of Galilee over to Tyre, Sidon. And, um, you know, he's this coastal region, this Canaanite area, uh, and she cries out to him. And he answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But this woman came and knelt before him and, Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. So he's still not going to help her. And and she says, yes, it is, Lord. It's not right to toss these bread to the dogs. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. So she's still pleading with Jesus. He, he dismisses her. The disciples say, send her away. He goes, I'm not gonna do anything. Then she kneels in front of him and says, please. And he goes, I'm not gonna give, the, you know, I'm not gonna give bread to dogs. <laughs> and she begs again, and finally Jesus relents. And Jesus says to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, the Canaanites were uh, the people that lived in Tyre and Sidon. Uh, this was the land of Canaan. If you remember the story of uh, Joshua and the promised land, uh, Moses was given the promised land and Joshua was the leader that came out of Moses. And they went and they fought the battle of Jericho, right? This is the land of Cana. And uh, so they conquered They conquered uh, the land of Jericho. They conquered Cana, but they didn't occupy it, right? They went back into Jerusalem and they kind of let Cana be one of the tribes, right? I don't know which tribe is up in Cana. So it's part of the promised land, but by this time, you know, Jewish religion, Jewish people were kind of concentrated in Galilee and and farther south. Uh, And so there were a lot of Canaanites that lived. These were basically pagans, right? They were not followers necessarily of the Jewish law. Uh, These were pagans and they were living in, in Tyre and Sidon. And they're not the lost sheep of Israel. The lost sheep of Israel are Israelites, followers of God's law, who aren't necessarily practicing God's law, who aren't following God's law. And Jesus came to them, and he didn't necessarily come for these people, these Canaanites living in Tyre and Sidon. And so she comes and she says, Lord, help me. And he goes, I'm not going to give you anything. You're not the lost sheep of Israel. But then she begs him and she pleads with him. And she says, Lord, help me. And God does, J- Jesus does relent and he heals this demon-possessed woman, his daughter. Um, it's, uh, it's a great story, uh, it's an interesting story, like why wouldn't Jesus heal everybody? But he couldn't heal everybody. He came with a mission and a purpose, right? And his mission and purpose was to come into Jerusalem to teach, to, to call back the lost sheep of Israel, but not necessarily to go to everybody. Their time would come later. After Jesus rises again, Jesus is going to send out his church to all the world. But right now, he's focusing and concentrating on the mission that was called to him, which was a mission to fight uh, in Jerusalem and to call the lost sheep of Israel. Um, that would come later. But still, Jesus relents and he saves this woman's daughter. Um, very, very, uh, very, very kind of him to do that. And she, he says it's her faith that heals, let's see, Jesus, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. I think Jesus speaks very kindly to people that come up to him and says, I know you can do this. Please do this. And um, she shows great faith in in knowing that Jesus is able to do this. And she pleads and she begs three times. Finally, Jesus relents and begs. There's another interesting lesson too, that, you know, God has a will, he's, you know, he has a purpose, he's got a plan, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he cannot bend from the plan that he has. And you say to yourself, but he knows all things, he knows how we're going to re- respond, he knows how we're going to act, he knows the plan. Um, so, um, but I, I think the point is, is that there are times when we can come and beg and plead with Jesus and, um, and whether or not that's part of the original plan or not, uh, you know, that's, that's a question that I, that's higher up in my pay grade, right? But, but I do know that Jesus uh, can relent, that we can fall and beg and ask for mercy. And we certainly don't deserve it, right? But he is the king of the universe and there are times when he will respond to our begging and our pleading. So we should never stop. If there's something that's deep in our heart, we should never stop begging and pleading God uh, because there are times when he does relent and give his blessings even to us dogs. All right, verse 29. Jesus then left Tyre and Sidon and went along the Sea of Galilee. And then he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. And great crowds still came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and he laid them at his feet and he healed them. And the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple made well, the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. So Jesus is healing and healing and healing. He goes into Tyre and Sight. He wasn't planning a healing because they're not the lost sheep, but then he heals. So he kind of moves away from there. By this time, the Pharisees, Sadducees are back. You know Jesus has left, but now he comes back into, Gal- into Galilee and uh, he starts healing again. And Jesus called his disciples to him and he says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me here three days and they have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on their way. So his disciples answered, well, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Wasn't it just a few chapters ago? Wasn't it, wasn't it, you know, they left Cana. they left Galilee, they go up to Tyre and Sidon, they spend some time there, they come back, I mean, sure, it's probably been, we know it's at least, you know, I, I don't know, months, or I, I have no idea how long it is, you know, from, from chapter 13 to chapter 15, right, but, hmm, I remember a time when Jesus kind of fed 5,000 people, here there's 4,000 people, there's less people, oh, uh, he says, uh, his disciples, where are we getting enough bread in this remote place to feed such crowd? Well, how many loaves do we have? Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. They've got more bread and less people. They're like, how, how, what are we going to do? Jesus is like, Ugh, I can't believe these people. I just can't believe it. So he says. Well, let's tell the crowd to sit down. And Then he took the bread and he had given thanks. He broke it and he gave it to his disciples and they in turn turned to the people, and they all ate and they were satisfied, and afterwards the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000 men besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and he went to the vicinity of Magadan. So now remember, Matthew is writing this story. Matthew was one of the disciples of Jesus, okay? Uh, So this is Matthew who saw the feeding of the 5,000, and now. Uh, You know, the the disciples are like, well, how are we going to feed these people? And Jesus must have shook his head and said, I cannot believe, I cannot believe my eyes and ears. Is this happening to me? Do they not understand the power uh, that they have with me here? I I don't understand. So Jesus does the exact same miracle again. More loaves loaves of bread, less people. And he does the same thing again. And I I just think that... um, it must have been very difficult for these disciples to remember everything. Uh, you know, they get on with their life and they don't see the hand of God in their life, uh, and so they forget. And how many of us? Uh, just just think about the times in your life when you've seen the hand of God and you're absolutely convinced it's the hand of God, and you give thanks and praise to God for it. I mean, but life is long, right? The days are short, but life is long. And how long ago was that? And how? How much of the world has penetrated your, your life and the worries of the world and the stress of the world? Uh, is, am I still on? Okay, I saw a little blip there, so I'm not sure. if Okay, I, guess, I think I'm still on. All right, how many times is the worries of this world, um, we forget the blessings of God, we forget the power of God, we forget that we're in the kingdom of God, right? It's so easy to forget these things. Because the stress and the worry of this world is stress and worry of this world. And sometimes it gets wrapped up so much in the things of life and of this world and job and security and food and coronavirus and all that sort of thing that we forget the blessings that God had given us at some point around, you know, in some part of our life. The, the things where we absolutely saw the hand of God in our life and we forget those things. Uh, and we get so wrapped up in the world. My friends, don't forget those things. Thank God every day for the blessings that He has given you. Remember the blessings that He put in your life. Remember the people that He put in your life. Remember uh, all the good things that came into your life, those times in your life where you stopped and paused and just gave praise to God because of those incredible blessings. Like like the you know, your child that was born or your second child, you know, or your grandchildren or or, you know, starting a new job and it was a great job, or, or finishing college or finishing high school, or you know, these milestones that you have in your life um, that were so much a blessing from God in your life, and you stopped and you paused and you thanked God for the blessings of those life. And those are the things that God wants you to remember. And yet He sees us going and fighting after things, you know, stressing out about worries of this life that, and, and forgetting the blessings. And you know, the disciples did it too. They forgot that Jesus had already fed 5,000. This is no big deal um, for him. Yeah, he, he, yeah. So um, focus on the good. Even in the midst of this coronavirus, remember the good things that God is doing and he is doing great things. I just read, you know, the great things that God is doing in this world. Let's focus on that. That's why I focus on that today. That's why I'm happy today. The blessing in my life today was that when I was out on a walk, I saw a herd of javelina that were down in a wash, so they couldn't attack me, <laughs> and I was able to sit there and watch them and get out my phone and try to take a picture, uh, and be blessed by that. Because God, every once in a while, just gives me a blessing and uh, wants me to remind Him, wants to remind me once again that He's in charge, He loves me, all the blessings of this world. I'm a, I'm a child of the King. You're a child of the King, and uh, that's that's our lesson for today. So. I think we'll end it there. Uh, thank you for joining with me today on this. Uh, I pray it was a good blessing for you. Um, we'll close in prayer. Gracious God, um, be with us as a as a church, a community of saints all around the world as we struggle with this coronavirus. And we struggle, Lord, how to love one another. We struggle how we would get through this. but. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Help us to see your presence in every part of our life, in every part of your church on earth. Help us not to cling to things that don't make sense, but help us to cling to you because we know that you've attracted our heart and you live deep inside us. Um, Help us to have first and foremost your kingdom and then everything else is added, Lord. Um, Help us to see your blessing in this world Help us to focus on the good things because every good gift comes from you. Continue to be with our world and your church. Uh, In your name we pray.